wage war through the water Thinking on Uncle Sam I'm trying to make you live it all I'm just a working man And oh my lord it is I can't get no sleep, can't get no rest The beauty of lost just throws into the fire We touched down and the reverse thrusters kicked in the taxi lights shimmering across the broken concrete runway as the plane taxied toward Alvaro's hangar. We sluggishly pulled inside, and I heard the tires squeal on the pristine Italian tile floors. When the engine shut down, the only sound was from Alvaro's angry voice echoing in the open space as he sputtered loudly into his cell phone. I don't give a fuck. A fuck! You telling me takes ten from me, I will have twenty back. Fuck, 40 back, you tell the ungrateful little motherfucker from me. I had no idea who Alvaro was talking to, but he was very clearly on the other side of cocktail hour. I clutched my duffel and held my gift for Alvaro under one arm while Tim stood next to me at the galley, waiting for the airport attendant to signal to the pilot to open the door and drop the stairs. I wanted to ask him, does he do this often? Just how much does Alvaro drink? And how often does he go off the rails like this? But thought better of it. Well, thanks for taking such good care of me, Tim. I think I'm going to be a regular passenger over the next few weeks, and I do really appreciate it. Tim took the hand I'd extended to him and leaned forward too close to my face for my comfort. I'll look forward to that. I would like to meet your friend the next time we're in Homestead. Thankfully, the airport attendant signaled and the pilot opened the cockpit door to tell Tim to let down the stairs. Alvaro was up the stairs and inside the plane before Tim had finished the job, brushing past him to grab me and hug me like I was a prisoner of war coming home. Tim, give Clayton and I a drink to celebrate. Mm. Yes, sir. <laughs> I checked the time on my phone and sighed again as I set my duffel in my dusty box on one of the long white leather sofas and took a seat. I didn't know if Tim was one of Alvaro's toys, although that was certainly looking more true than not, and I had no intention of confirming my suspicions this evening in some three-way fantasy Alvaro had dreamed up. I was due to meet Juan Carlos within the half hour. Tim materialized again, this time with a silver ice bucket, a bottle of vodka, and two crystal tumblers on a tray. Anything else I can get for you, gentlemen? He winked. And suddenly, I was overcome with my own fantasies, slipping a Mickey into Alvaro's vodka if only I had a Mickey handy. How did a man get to be a dangerous drug kingpin with $20 million in small bills floating around when he was so unfocused on taking care of business? Yes. My heart sank at the thought of what he might have on his vodka-addled mind. Some cheese and crackers and some green olives on his side. So, Clint, your trip went well? It went better than I could have hoped. Clint, my partner, give me details. Which was exactly what I didn't want to do. I didn't want him to know how easy it had been for me to have Jack transfer all the information I needed onto a little stick smaller than a box of matches that was now resting in my back pocket. A memory stick filled with older people's bank account information. Can we meet your young banker tonight? I've never made the acquaintance of one, Carlos. 
It took all my self-control not to flinch. How did he know my banker's name? What did he know of the arrangements I had made with him? Maybe he tapped my phone. Did he have an inkling that if he possessed the little stick in my back pocket, he could conceivably take it to Juan Carlos himself and cut me out of the deal? <laughs> if he was smart enough to do that, it wouldn't get him anywhere with the Coens or any other U.S. bank. No one else would figure out about the dormant accounts. I'm not meeting with anyone tonight, Alvaro. I've had a hellishly long day, and I've got to get an early start tomorrow to take care of your money, so tonight I'm going home and taking a shower and going to bed. I watched his eyes as he looked out the window. He wiped the sweat from his tumbler of ice and vodka on his black jeans. I waited for him to look at me, and when several minutes had passed with no indication that this was going to happen, I tapped the dusty box at my side. The only other thing I'm going to do tonight is give you a present. This captured his interest. I had planned to present the cape to Alvaro with a little more ceremony, at some more celebratory juncture, but a diversionary tactic in hand is worth two in the bush, and so I picked up the box, and I placed it on the coffee table between us. Just as Tim returned with the tray of snacks Alvaro had ordered, flummoxed about where to put it down as the box took up every inch of the table, save what was already in use by the silver drink tray. Alvaro, his black eyes shining now with anticipation, waved the steward away. For me? Yes, for you. Alvaro reached out with both hands to lift the lid. It once belonged to Ernesto Pastor. No. Alvaro breathed. He floated one hand on top of the red satin as if it was too precious a relic to handle. His hand hovered for several seconds as his black eyes brimmed. And then he very slowly lifted the cape from its resting place. The satin crinkled as it unfolded, and Alvaro rose as he pulled it from its box and extended it to its full length. Dust motes swirled around its gilded shoulders, tickling my nose, but Alvaro was completely oblivious to anything but the cloth's beauty and its history. He stood, mouth agape, in awe at what he held in his two hands, for at least a full minute. I was a little afraid he was going to whip the cape around him. In one of his signature flourishes, treatment I wasn't quite sure the fragile fabric could withstand. But all he did was lovingly lower the cape back into the box, careful to replicate its original folds, and then reach for his glass. I trust you, Clint. I'm beginning to see you wouldn't do anything that would require me to harm you. Here's to a long and profitable partnership. Pedro opened the iron entrance gate with one hand, the other reaching for my duffel, both eyes on the Hummer that was dropping me off, and the gorgeous man I'd been sitting next to in the back seat. Very nice, Mr. Clint. Is he your new friend? No, absolutely the fuck not. Mr. Clint, do you know that he is the famous bullfighter? Yes, I know, Pedro. Angry. And more than a little shaken, I went directly to my bedroom and jumped in my shower. Pedro furnished me with a warm towel and clean clothes, a fresh pair of jeans and a hard rock cafe pullover, and I was ready when Juan Carlos showed up at my front door exactly on time. Hello, Juan Carlos. Your home is beautiful. We Mexicans are happy to see Americans come in to restore these old colonial homes. Most of my people want me out in the new suburbs away from the old city. I can't imagine why. 
I bought this place three years ago when I realized I wanted to live in the Yucatan permanently. Started restoration as soon as escrow closed. It took almost two years to finish. I hired a local architect and local workers. Very talented, but with an exasperating sense of what a full work day entails. Anyway, I love it. Can't imagine living in the suburbs. Give up all this artisan beauty for what? Shoddy new construction. Not to mention tiny rooms and claustrophobically low ceilings. I live in the suburbs, Senor Kennedy. I nodded. Of course he lived in the burbs. I took in his rumpled, inexpensive suit, his Casio watch, his loafers, highly polished but in desperate need of new heels. All of it screamed mid-level banker. Where else would he live but in a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath split level? Probably in want of an owner who had a better understanding of deferred maintenance. It wasn't that I minded the cheapness, but the lack of care and absolute void of originality made me weary. I didn't mean you, of course, I said, and smiled, genuinely smiled. I did not want to piss him off. He was a vital link in my chain. I sat back on my sofa, still smiling, awkwardly aware that I had probably offended him, and waited for his return fire. He had been so accommodating yesterday when I had phoned from the Coens to first bring this deal to his attention. Now I waited for him to find fault with it, ask the uncomfortable questions of his own about the origins of the money slated for transfer. And he had to know we were dealing with drug money. Millions in cash weren't going to be sitting around from saved-up paychecks. Had I just handed him an excuse to wash his hands of it? And me? To keep his hands clean? Instead, Juan Carlos reached into his breast pocket and drew out a spiral notebook and a short pencil that looked as if he'd appropriated it the last time he played around with golf and sat back on the sofa, scratching some figures on one of the sheets. How much money are we talking about to help me calculate my percentage? It was quite unlike me to have underestimated the allure of profit. 20 million to start, 1 million on day one, and there'll be more if all the details of the first transfer fall into place. Very good, Senor Kennedy. And the details, what are they? I want to get started on the transfers as quickly as we can. Tomorrow, if possible. I have over 200 accounts in the U.S. that can each receive a wire in increments of no more than 9,900. I reached into the back pocket of my jeans, where I transferred the memory stick after stepping into my fresh clothes, and handed it to him. I want to use the first 102 on the spreadsheet first. Names, account numbers, bank routing number, it's all on there. Juan Carlos reached out for the stick, but I gripped it tighter. All 102 tomorrow. At that rate, it would take 20 business days to transfer the 20 million into the States. In less than a month, I would be the owner of $4 million. I released my hold and Juan Carlos accepted the gadget, frowning. It's a lot of work for that many accounts. I could see the calculations going on behind his pale hazel eyes. What 2% added up to in terms of bank fees. I could translate into a promotion at the bank for bringing in new business of such magnitude. A happy wife ordering a new tile floor for their half bath. His aching feet in a new pair of loafers. I can do a lot of it tonight from home. and In the morning, I will send our armored car to you to collect the money and begin the transfers. Since this will be our first time that we're doing it, I'll suggest that we transfer only three or four accounts and then verify the U.S. account received it. Agreed. I'll be ready at 9 a.m. Juan Carlos offered me his damp hand in return. Then I escorted him to my front door and watched him walk down the street to his 20-year-old Chevy. This was not the picture of a man who was going to have millions of dollars running through his short, damp little fingers in the morning. Short, damp 
little suburban fingers, caressing all those fives, tens, and twenties, fifties, and hundred dollar bills that had been scrunched in the paws of drug users eager for their next high, their next fix. The smelly, damp drug cash stored at Alvaro's house. When he drove past me, a trail of smoke floated gently down to the asphalt road. There were two messages on my phone, one from Alvaro and one from Jack. I called Pedro to bring me a scotch on the rocks, walked out to my pool, and slumped down on a lounge chair while I dialed Jack back. When can we start? (laughs) Hello to you, too. Hello. When can we start? My guy's doing the computer work tonight. Carl will be here to transport the money at nine. They'll have to count it, of course, but I think you could start checking the accounts by noon at least. Call me as soon as it starts to flow. My guy will take his cut right off the top. So just dump a straight 20% into my account and the rest into all those. Woo! <laughs> Smooth, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's Abe? You heard from him? Dad did, but he handled him. He asked if uh, Abe was dating anyone we knew, and that shut dear big brother right up. And he didn't tell him anything about the transfers. By the time Abe finds out, it'll be a done deal. And if Abe's our biggest concern, we're home free. That's easy for you to say, Jackie. You're not the one who has to drive a million bucks and small bills to the bank tomorrow. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. Preaching to the choir, brother. Pedro had turned on the pool and garden lights, and my terrace looked like a resort. Palms gently swaying and the tiniest bit of movement on the surface of the water. I heard the mariachi players from the park just six blocks away, filled with the locals out for the evening. Hello, Clint, my partner. (laughs) It was clear he'd had a few more drinks since I'd left him, but he was in a good mood, and I figured that was a plus. Hey, uh, I've been thinking about logistics. Yes, partner, I have too. The money is all counted and packed in suitcases. Good, good. Drive one million to my house in the morning. Have it here by nine. Why's your house? Why don't we go directly to the bank? Because it's more discreet my way. If I arrange for the bank's armored car to pick it up, I'll be able to give you a receipt for it. I mean, do you want to walk in the bank with all those suitcases of cash and ask for a voucher? Or have a bunch of uniformed guards who don't answer to you in your house, counting the money and hauling out the suitcases in front of your kids? If you do, I'm happy to change the plan. No, 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 no. Your way is good. But what do I do about your receipt, Clint? My receipt? No, I give you money and you give it to the bank. What is my receipt from you? We've already talked about this, Alvaro. My life is my receipt. Because if I don't do right by you, you will have my life. The drunken laugh Alvaro left out, let out in response was actually terrifying. Also, Alvaro... I want two of your guards to stay at my house while the money's counted, until the bank takes it away. This is additional insurance for you of my honesty. (laughs) You are not a stupid man, Clint. I wanted you because you can get things done. Of course not, I thought. Was this way if it turned out Juan Carlos had set me up and things went south? Alvaro's men and Alvaro would bear the brunt of scrutiny for the crime. I wouldn't be off the hook completely in that case, but in terms of the usual suspects, I was going to be able to wiggle out of legal trouble a whole lot more easily if I had Alvaro's men and their kingpin linked to the money. Thank you, and I appreciate your trust. I wouldn't call it trust. 
I appreciate your willingness to earn it. Finished my drink and rolled up the legs of my jeans to put my feet in the cool water of the pool. The breeze made slight waves skitter across the surface to the tiled borders, light flickering off the wavelets like a bed of sparkling diamonds. Coffee. Every one of them wanted a cup. Alvaro's four men, two bank guards, the accountant who came to count the money, the driver of the armored car. Milk, cream, sugar, stevia, honey, for Christ's sake. They kept Pedro hopping, whistling as he worked, possibly a Mayan morning prayer. Soothing sound, almost like a meditation. I detected the faint aroma of pot, a drug I no longer indulged in permeating the money and seeping from it into the living room until I felt the vague, slothful presence of a contact high. Even so, Alvaro and his men had done an admirable job on their count, and by 9.40 I was handing his thugs a receipt for an even one million big ones and settled in my car, following an armored car to the offices of Banco de Mexico. I took the ten-minute drive to Juan Carlos's office in silence. No radio, no phone. I only sound the smooth hum of my Land Rover's engine. I watched as an old man moved in slow steps, lugging a five-gallon bucket of water he'd used to clean the sidewalk. A boy of six or seven, likely the grandson of the sidewalk cleaner, walked beside him, keeping pace and carrying a broom with thick yellow bristles. Shop owners were on the sidewalks hosing down awnings or washing display windows with squeegees, shoveling debris from the night before out of their gutters the godly people of Meredith, a city noted for its cleanliness, looked up when the armored car ahead of me passed by as if it might contain the Pope come to bestow a blessing. Juan Carlos occupied a windowless office on the third floor of the bright white bank building on Reforma Street. He was even more rumpled than he'd been at my house the night before, clearly showing the effects of no sleep and a long night of tedious work. His office was painted plain white, furnished with an old-fashioned metal desk and devoid of personal effects. But I was mightily impressed when he told me he was prepared, at that very moment, to begin to wire Alvaro's money, and that he believed the whole of the first million could be transferred within just two short hours. Well, let's go. Juan Carlos tapped a single key on his computer keyboard, then sat back in his armless swivel chair and crossed his arms. I looked at him. Have you done it? Yes. That's it? You might want to call your friend in Miami and see if the money has made it yet into his bank. Tell him to look at the account of a gentleman named Elmer Collier. I pulled myself from my shirt pocket. No beeps or blips, no flashing lights, not even a flicker. Worse, I knew Elmer Collier. His youngest grandson had been one of my boys back in my escort days. I'd actually given the kid a ride to the nursing home to visit Elmer a few times. Elmer was then 93 years old, lying on a bed covered with plastic sheets so he wouldn't piss all over the nursing home's mattress and ruin it. He'd been a janitor at a prep school Jack and I had attended, always walking with his head down, broom or mop in hand, and trailing a big orange bucket on wheels, sloshing water in his wake. It all seemed terribly anticlimactic. Jack! Hey, Clint, where are you? Dad and I are at the bank, and he's in his office pacing and jangling his keys. I'm in the kitchen making us some coffees. Jack, go into your office and check Elmer Collier's account. Fuck, you started it? Yeah, just call me back when you get to your office. Fuck, no. Hold on, hold on. Dad, Clint has sent the first transfer. 
Fuck, Clint. What? I asked, clutching my phone, waiting to hear the worst, bracing myself to be told it couldn't be this easy to undermine the tax entities, drug enforcement agencies, and financial regulations of two countries. It's here. Nine thousand and nine hundred brand new dollars in Elmer Collier's account. Hey, wait, wait, Elmer Collier? Don't we know him? I'm not a student of human nature. I've spent so much of my time in life sizing people up to find out which ones were best suited and most ably disposed to helping me meet my goals. I can spot Mark, Dick, a pussy, or a sociopath before I can even see the whites in their eyes. But Alvaro... (laughs) I grew increasingly uncomfortable with each phone call. Each time I called him or he called me, which he must have done about 20 times during the course of the day while the transfers were happening. With each escalating display of glee I heard on the phone when another and then another and then another of the wires had made it into their targeted dormant account. I didn't begrudge him the calls. On the face of it, of course, it was his million dollars. Well, the 800,000 of it that wasn't mine, that is. And he had a right to be concerned about its disposition. What was throwing me off were the squeals. The way he grew to sound more and more like an excited piglet through the course of the day. The ruthless, intimidating drug kingpin I could deal with. The five-year-old on too much sugar was not in my wheelhouse. I left the bank at 2.30 that afternoon, after all the day's transfers were complete. One cool million stashed neatly in two brand new Miami accounts and headed straight to Alvaro's hacienda. I'd hoped that seeing him in the flesh would allay some of the fears that had been building during the course of the day. Voices on the telephone can be as deceiving and easily misinterpreted as emails or text messages. Or at least that was how I consoled myself. My hopes were high as the guards waved me through the electronic gates at Alvaro's estate. But after I parked my car and sprinted into the central courtyard to see Alvaro standing by the pool, flipping steaks at a flaming grill with one hand and waving a tumbler of tequila in the other, wearing nothing but a pair of tight white underwear. My heart sank. I mean, don't get me wrong. Alvaro looked mighty fine in his underwear. Slim waist, firm shoulders, fair amount of hair on his thick legs, and more than his fair share of bulge in the crotch. I fully understood why my boys used to compete with each other when he phoned in for a date. While it may at first glance seem counterintuitive, however, people who run escort services are the ones who most fully and sincerely understand the concept of not shitting where one eats. That is, we know that if your business is fucking, then you don't fall in love with the fucky. The complimentary motto might be, if your business is business, you don't fuck your business partner. Partner! Partner! Steaks from Argentina! He grabbed me around the neck with the arm that was holding a pronged barbecue fork and kissed me on the mouth. One million down, 19 million more to go. Tonight we party. Hell, we party for 19 more nights, yes? Just for you, I have brought out my most expensive tequila. Here, come drink with me. Isn't there a way we can do it quicker? You know, move the money faster? I want to party 19 more nights with you but I want to do it knowing that all my money is safe. I was a healthy man in his mid-thirties, and I believed that if I had to party 19 nights in a row with Alvaro, it would probably kill me. Or if he spent them squealing and spinning and rambling as he had been all day, 
I'd kill him before the first week was out. I threw back my tequila before I spoke. There are several reasons why it can't be done any more quickly, Alvaro. The main one is the number of accounts we transfer into in the U.S. We have to keep those transfers under 10,000, raising any suspicion about what we're doing. Alvaro poured himself another shot of tequila, drank it back, and hurled the barbecue fork across the patio. I would have loved to have it all done, too, if only because of Alvaro's bizarre behavior. And of course, I'd put the bug in Jack's ear about speeding things up, but as it stood, the circumstances called for patience. Tell your friend, Jack, what will happen if he fucks my account up and loses any of my money. Shit. I could see it in his eyes. He wouldn't hesitate to off any one of us. So get on your knees and say a prayer for me. I'm living in hell, this is eternity. So get on your knees and say a prayer for me. I'm living this hell, it's eternity. Cause I can't breathe. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Stained Fortune. It was produced by myself, Joe Calderwood, and Jeff Messer, casting by Charlie Wilson. Performances by Haven Kai, Brooks Wallace, Alan Chandler, and Charlie Wilson. Music by Freddie Elmberg.